0: Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. I want to invite you once again to turn with me to the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter five, we're making our way verse by verse through the Gospel of Luke. Last Sunday, if you remember, we looked at verses 17 through 26, and in that great passage, we were introduced to a man who the scripture describes as a paralytic. He was unable to move about himself, so he had four friends who took him in a stretcher up upon a rooftop where Jesus was teaching below. They tore through the ceiling, lowered him down to the feet of Jesus where he was healed. You might have noticed that when Jesus healed the man, He referred to him as friend. We picked up on that and we said that when we bring our friends to Jesus through personal evangelism, we're being a true friend to them. Well, we want to continue in that theme of friendship today. The title of today's message is Jesus the Friend of Sinners. And a particular friend that we meet today is one of the apostles, a man by the name of Matthew, who Jesus first calls to salvation, then to be His apostle. And then ultimately he called him his friend. Now let's read our text. Luke 5, 27, after that, that is after he healed the paralytic, he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house and there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with him the Pharisees and the scribes began grumbling at the disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, it is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And as we're reading the word of God, I want to read one more passage. First Corinthians 1:26. just listen. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, consider your calling brothers that not many were wise according to the flesh, not mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. and The base things of the world and despise things, God has chosen the things that are not so that he might nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that just as it is written, let him who boast boast in the Lord. May the Lord add his blessing the reading of his word. Well, Matthew, or he is called here Levi by his Jewish name, indeed all the 12 apostles, certainly fall into the category of those Paul described as the base things of the world. Now, he's not complimenting them. He's saying they're common as they could be. In fact, all these men, with the exception of Judas Iscariot, were from the same region, the region called Galilee. And Galilee was not known as a center of great learning or a haven for aristocrats. It was a common man's place. It's where most of the people were, either were fishermen or farmers. It was, however, one particular city in Galilee, Capernaum, where Jesus was headquartered. A very commercial crossroads. People came from the north, south, east, and west, and they ended up in Capernaum. So it was a natural place to set up a tax booth. Remember that the Roman authorities had taken over most of the known world, including the area today that we know as Israel, including this area of Galilee. And, and the primary reason and goal for imperial expansion was tax revenue. That, that's why they were so keen, the Romans were to keep the peace because where there was peace, there was commerce and where there was commerce, there was taxation and where there was taxation, there was the ability to feed the very hungry machine that was the Roman Empire. And to collect taxes, the Romans depended on a system of local prefects and governors and puppet kings. And the puppet king that was responsible for collecting the Roman tax in Galilee and Judea was a man you're very familiar with by the name of Herod. Herod was then charged with franchising out the actual physical collection of the taxes to local tax collectors of which Matthew was one. And so the first thing I want you to note today on your outline is the unrighteous are called. Matthew being a tax collector was known to all as a sinner. Now the worst thing you could be in Jewish society was a tax collector but you might be reminded just now of how many times that Jesus ministered to tax collectors. Your children probably sing a song about one of them, Zacchaeus, who was a wee little man. Zacchaeus not only was a wee little man, he was a hated little man because he was a tax collector. Now there were all sorts of gradations of tax collectors. Some of them were highly influential and very wealthy and they never got their hands dirty by actually collecting the taxes. They hired people to do that. And then there were the common tax collectors who sat in a little booth on the roadside and every wagon that came along they excised a tax upon. And so here's Matthew, he's one of these lowly booth tax collectors that the people really hated because they saw them and interacted with them every day and so they would become the subject of their hatred. But like Zacchaeus, Matthew was called by Jesus to be a follower of his and like Zacchaeus he did. There's another man that we'll talk about a little bit later on today, who was in a parable that Jesus told. He was simply called a publican, which is another name for tax collector. Jesus told a story about two men who went down to a place of worship to pray. One was a Pharisee, which was uh, someone who was of exalted status in the community. The other a tax collector who was the lowest of status in the community. But the Pharisee prayed like this, Father, I." fast twice of the week, I give alms to the poor. Aren't you glad to have me on your team, basically is what he said. And he said, I'm glad and thankful that I'm not like that wicked tax collector over there. The scripture says the tax collector, unable because of guilt to lift his head to pray, simply mumbled to himself, God have mercy upon me, the sinner. Jesus said that man went down to his house that day justified. Well, here's another tax collector, Matthew here in Luke chapter five. Here was a man who was uh, probably on the take as most of them were. See, if you couldn't pay your taxes, Matthew would have been glad to loan you the money himself at exorbitant interest rates. And if you couldn't pay back the interest, he would send out his goons to break your legs. And so here was a man who was universally Despised, And he was confronted by his own sinfulness every day. And yet Jesus calls the unrighteous to salvation. Now to be a tax collector also had cultural implications. The tax collectors were not allowed to worship in the local synagogues with other Jewish people. They were considered ceremonially unclean. The people were given permission by their rabbis to cheat and mistreat a rabbi anytime they wanted to. He was the one exception that it was okay to cheat. He was constantly reminded of his sinfulness. Now, have you noticed so far here in Luke the kind of people that Jesus associates with? We've seen him cast out demons. We have seen him touch a leper and heal him. We've seen him heal a paralytic when most of the crowd would think this man deserves the condition that he's in because they perceived his sin to be greater than theirs. And now he's commiserating with tax collectors. Probably the question Jesus' critics were asking as they observed all of this up until this point is, how low will he go? (laughs) Well, he answers that question to the very bottom. Tax collectors were considered the lowest of the low in the culture and yet Jesus reached out to him. In fact, there's a very interesting word here, verse 27. It says Jesus noticed him. That is, he took interest in Matthew. Maybe for the first time in many years, someone took an interest in Matthew. Not only did he notice him, he called him and said, come and follow me. Jesus calls the unrighteous. Now the truth is, and you've probably picked up already, that the truth is all of us are unrighteous, right? Romans 3.10, there's none righteous, not even one. And yet, till a person recognizes their own unrighteousness, they cannot and will not be saved. The Apostle Paul called that fundamental truth of the gospel a stumbling block to the Jews. He says in 1 Corinthians 1 that the cross, the simple message that all must come through Jesus, all are sinners, all need salvation, is to the Greeks, that is the up and in, the academic elites, it's foolishness. How foolish that I can't save myself. How foolish that a God would take on human flesh and die in the place of men. But he says, to the Jews, of which Matthew was one, that same truth is a stumbling block. It's something that trips them up. They can't get past it to get to Jesus. What they couldn't get past is that their Jewishness, their law-keeping, their esteemed status in the community was not enough to save them. See, they were depending on their pedigree. Remember the Apostle Paul describing himself before his conversion, a Pharisee of the Pharisees of the tribe of Benjamin? touching the law blameless. That's what, up until the point that he was confronted by Jesus on the Damascus Road, he would have pointed to, to anyone that questioned his credentials. The keeping of the law, their prestige in the community. And so they just keep tripping over the fact that they need a savior. Matthew didn't, did you notice? Jesus said, come and follow me. The scripture says immediately he left all to follow Christ. Verse 28, he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. And so to do that, he had to renounce his past. Matthew renounced his past, that is his sinful past. Now you contrast that with the rich young ruler. Do you remember Jesus was out ministering one day and this young man come, he's described as a rich young ruler and he's asking about salvation. He says he's kept all the law, which is a lie. And Jesus says, here's what you do. Go and sell all you have and give to the poor and come and follow me. the scripture says he went away sad because he had much. That he has many possessions he was not willing to part with. Of course Jesus knew that. Well, By the way Matthew most likely had many possessions. He had a lucrative franchise here at this crossroads commercially. He was making a lot of money, building a great empire probably and yet he left everything immediately and began to follow Jesus. Now one more interesting note about Matthew. Once Matthew began to follow Jesus, the first thing he did was to invite others to meet Jesus. Haven't you found out that uh, one of your lost friends gets saved, particularly later in life? The first thing they want to do is tell everyone they know about Jesus, right? That's a very appropriate thing. And this is what Matthew does. He throws a party at his house, and he invites Jesus to be the guest of honor. And he invites all of his friends to meet Jesus, Levi gave a big reception for him in his house, the scripture says, and there was a great crowd of tax collectors and what Luke describes as other people who were reclining at the table with Matthew. It's interesting that in Matthew's gospel, chapter nine, when he describes the same scene, he doesn't say there were other people, he says tax collectors and sinners (laughs) who were there. And these were the kind of people that you would expect Matthew to hang around. He wasn't accepted in good company And so he hung out with the worst of the worst. There were probably prostitutes and thugs of every kind there, and yet these were his compatriots, his friends. So he invites them to meet Jesus. Well, it did not escape the notice of the Pharisees that Jesus was frolicking, and they would say playing and partying with these people. By the way, there are Lord's Supper implications to this. Scripture says He was reclining at the table with them, which is the posture that people used to eat a relaxed meal in those days. They would have couches, you would have your head and shoulders towards the table, your feet draped right behind you, and you would be face to face with the people that you were dining with, a very intimate setting. And this was what Jesus was doing. By the way, that's exactly what Jesus was doing in the upper room the night of His arrest. He was surrounded that night by sinners, and and dear friends, in a moment when we take of the Lord's Supper together, may we never forget every time we do, Jesus is being a friend to sinners, when He would commune with us. We are sinners, but sinners saved by His grace. It has been said by many preachers, and I want to repeat it, Jesus did not come to make bad men good, Jesus came to make dead men alive, and that's what we were, When we were lost, we were separated from him. Paul says dead in trespasses and sins. And so it is very appropriate to rejoice in the fact that we've been made alive. And that brings us to our second point. Not only does Jesus call the unrighteous, he rejects the self-righteous. The self-righteous are rejected. What I mean by that is a self-righteous person cannot and will not be saved. And of course those people in this particular passage are the scribes and the Pharisees, they were indeed self-righteous. Well, How would we define someone who's self-righteous? Well, a self-righteous person is convinced of their own righteousness, especially in contrast with the actions and beliefs of others. So if you're self-righteous, you're convinced that you're righteous because you look at other people and you say, I'm I'm better than them. And there are a number of uh, giveaways Tells about someone who has a self righteous attitude. Number one is a self righteous person is keen to address and keenly aware of the unworthiness of others. They like to point out the faults of others. And yet, correspondingly, they do not seem to be aware of their personal sin and station before the Lord. There's no awareness of their own depravity, in other words. Here's another tell about a self-righteous person. They take joy in the demise of sinners. That is, when they hear about a person that they would judge to be particularly sinful, particularly if it's associated with their own consequence of sin, they'll say things like, well, they got what they deserved. Finally, they got their comeuppance. And then there's one more that's evidenced here in Luke chapter five, an evidence of a self-righteous attitude is they grumble at the grace of God. Rather than rejoice at the grace of God, they grumble at the grace of God. Grumbling and uh, another word, which your translation might say murmuring, are one and the same. They are onomatopoeia words, words that sound like what they are. Yesterday morning about 6.30, there was an incredible boom right in our backyard as our neighbor's house was struck by lightning and immediately was set on fire. A boom is a word that sounds like what it is, right? Murmur, grumbling, sounds like what it is. Murmuring is this. When you're complaining, so that people know you're complaining, but you're not bold enough to say what you're complaining about. What they were complaining about became obvious. They didn't like it that Jesus and his disciples were eating with people they considered to be great sinners. And so what does Jesus say? He says a very famous passage, a very famous phrase. We use it in all sorts of contexts today that the well don't need a physician but the sick, right? The well don't need a physician but the sick. We often refer to Jesus as the great physician. He certainly was that. He healed the lepers. He healed a man who had paralysis. And yet he was speaking of man's greatest sickness which was his soul sickness, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Now Luke was by profession a physician. He was a doctor. And so this saying of Jesus must certainly have special significance to him. Jesus says it is not the well who need a physician but, but the sick. This phrase is dripping with irony by the way. See everyone present was sick except Jesus and he knew it but only part of them knew it. The ones that knew they were sick were having a meal with Jesus, those who thought they were fine were standing outside at a distance from Jesus. There's something we must understand here about the great physician is that he is sovereign in salvation. I point again to 1 Corinthians chapter one, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, the base things of the world and despise things. God has chosen the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. Let me remind you that the reason that Jesus saves anybody, whether a Pharisee or a tax collector, ultimately is for his own glory. And so Paul says God has not chosen to save many people that the world would consider wise or noble or elite. Instead, he has chosen to save common people, So that no one could boast and say he chose me because I'm so special. Right? Now he doesn't say he didn't choose any of those people. That those people can't be saved. He says few of those will be saved. Right? From a human perspective because they can't get past their own goodness. That's what the Jews couldn't get past. They kept stumbling over it. And so God as he has throughout his history with man chooses people that other people would pass over. What about little David, chosen to be the king of Israel after all of his brothers came and went and said, no, he's not the one. And God said it like this through the prophet, man looks on outward appearance, but God judges what? The heart. He's still doing that today. By the way, as I look out over us, and particularly as I look in the mirror, I'm sure glad he chooses common people, aren't you? And I hear people say sometimes, well, if this professional athlete would just get saved, or this politician would just get saved, or this Hollywood actress would just get saved. What an impact they could have on the kingdom of God. Dear friends, God doesn't need a Hollywood actress or a politician or a baseball player to advance his kingdom. He has chosen common people to get glory for himself. Now we rejoice when anyone comes to salvation, whether they're elite or whether they're common, but the truth is, he says, Few there be that find the Lord Jesus and most of them are common folks. He has mercy upon whom He chooses to have mercy. He's not a respecter of persons. Why does He do it? He says, for His own glory. Here's the implication of that before we take of the Lord's Supper. If you're here today and you're a human being, it means one thing, you're a sinner. The Bible diagnoses you As having a sin problem. Whether you are down and out or whether you're up and in, you have a fundamental need that all people have, and that is forgiveness and redemption. I remind you again about the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. The publican was self righteous, he said, I do this, I do that, I'm the best. He was rejected. The Pharisee, the down and out, said, Lord, have mercy. He was accepted. And here's the summation of everything I've said today. Only the humble can be saved. Only the humble can be saved. And God says that in many different ways in many different places in his scripture. Jesus said it this way when he addressed the crowd in what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will see God. And Jesus is not saying there's something inherently blessed about poverty. He's speaking of spiritual poverty. The person who recognizes they have nothing to offer God, they come to Him on His terms with empty hands and outturned pockets and says, Lord have mercy, that's the person that will see God. The Bible says, He resisteth the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Finally, He says, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due time. What about you friend? How did you come in this room today? Was it with a heart of self-righteousness that said looking around to the rest of us, I'm as good or better than these folks? That may be true. Jesus didn't come to make men moral, he came to make dead men alive. Morality will not get you to heaven. Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through him. And so if you come to him with a self-righteous attitude, you can't be saved. If you come to him with a broken and contrite spirit and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I have no righteousness to offer you. You have all the righteousness that I need. Would you accept me on your terms? Would you forgive me? not based on what I can do or have done, but based on the shed blood of Jesus Christ, His perfect life, and His glorious resurrection. That's how we gather around the Lord's table. We come to remember the body and the blood of Christ. We don't come to celebrate and pat ourselves on the back and say, look at us. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray and thank Him for our salvation. Heavenly Father, Lord, You're so good to us in so many ways. And Lord, I thank you for the reminder today to avoid the temptation of self-righteousness. Lord, you reserved your harshest rebukes for the self-righteous, yet you were called a friend of sinners. Reminded of what Paul said in describing himself, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am chief. Father, that is the attitude that you hear, that you honor the attitude of the publican. And Father, I want to do as Matthew did. I want to invite others to meet Jesus. So if you're here today and you don't know him as Lord and as Savior, just right where you are, could you just confess in your own heart that you're a sinner, that you deserve the wrath of God, but you want the mercy of God he says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that He's raised Him from the dead, we'll be saved. It doesn't matter if you are thought of as a moral person. doesn't matter if you're a pillar of the community. You have to come the same way as the worst criminal and the worst prison on death row. It's through humble faith. So Father, I pray that you would grant repentance and faith all present here. And I ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.